I'd like to start a new subject, which is more Evanezer than Cheshim Mishvat. There's no Geneva Stars on the advertisement of the Shir, being Cheshim Mishvat Shir. It's very closely connected to Cheshim Mishvat. It's first of all all about Momenus, it's about things to do with Bailus and Yerusha, etc. It's more Evanezer, we've discussed some, some of the points in passing in the past, um, it's primarily to do with rights of husbands over wife's assets, um, etc. So a lot of smiling people here. Um, I have to be careful because now on Zoom there could be wives on as well as husbands. Um, so there's a number of different areas of halacha which are relevant, some of which we touched on before, some of which we haven't touched on before. It comes up in... Uh, relevant to marriages, it comes up relevant to uh, Gittin disputes, and it comes up relevant to Yerusha uh, um, issues, as far as who owns what, who owns what. If, if things were conducted in a certain way in a marriage, does that mean that therefore it was understood that the halakha was put to the side, or is that just that it was tolerated in a certain method, but that doesn't necessarily mean there was any mechila on anyone's part. So, I wanted to really get you into the meat of it. So I looked around a bit and I found this tshuva, um, which is in Zafrani's Sefer, Shomu Mishpah, which really brings out about eight or nine of the points which I want to go through. Some of which we have in passing, some of which we haven't. So you're really uh, getting a chance. It's just frozen. Just frozen. So the zoom is frozen. Um, you're really getting a tshuva because he's sharing the screen. Thank you. Um, you, you're, but Jeremy, I'm not yet ready for that. Sorry, give me another minute. Okay. Um, we're really, uh, I'm getting a chance to um, dive in at the deep end, so to speak, and, and see how these things can come together in, in a not so unusual scenario, not Mamsharopic scenario. So before we go to the actual uh, sheets, Jeremy, maybe you can go back on regular screen. Yeah, I'm just trying um, to uh, figure out how to do that. Okay. Um, but before we go uh, back into so just to, um, to a little bit of Hazara of some basics which you've touched on before, maybe some points which we, which we haven't touched on before. Um, there's a basic halacha that when a husband gets married, if his wife has any assets, then there are two different ways that the halacha um, would view what happens to those assets as far as the husband's system uh, in those assets. One is nifsim look. Now, one is Nifsit Sein Barzah. Right? We've all come across it before in school, in yeshiva, etc. But let's try and make it come a little bit more to life. Nifsit Sein Barzah, which is the less common uh, scenario nowadays, would be, let's say, uh, um, a woman walks into the marriage with, let's say, uh, £10,000 cash. So a husband, so to speak, can say, right, I owe you that £10,000. Whatever happens to this money is not your responsibility. It's my responsibility. Well, let's take even a property, which is less common even for this scenario, is a woman walks into a marriage and she owns a property. Remember, when we speak about a woman walking into a marriage, it doesn't have to be a first marriage, it be a second marriage, right? So it's more likely maybe in a second marriage that a woman will actually own a property when she walks in, not necessarily. And um, she walks into marriage with a property worth a million pounds. So in Nefzitz and Barzal would say that the arrangement between the husband and wife, and this would need to be discussed and agreed, is that this is some barzal, which means literally it's an asset in iron, 
which means that it's been crystallized that the value of the property is a million pounds at the time of the marriage. Doesn't make a difference what happens afterwards. If it goes up in value, down in value, all the wife is entitled to get back is a million pounds. So effectively, it's like she's now lent her husband a million pounds. All the income, all the capital gain, everything goes to the husband, but so too does the liability. That's a less common uh, scenario. A more common scenario, which is that lock in a case and something's not spoken out at all, necessarily, is that uh, a wife walks, let's say the same scenario, a wife walks into marriage with a property worth a million pounds, it's nifsemi look. Nifsemi look means that the husband is entitled to the payers of that property. He doesn't own the property, the property belongs to the wife. He's entitled to the payers of that property. That is halacha number one. And halacha number two is a separate halacha, both nifsemi look, both nifsemi that if a woman is nifted when she's married, then her husband is the primary yosh. And that means that any of those assets will go automatically to the husband, in some ways stronger than other hilchos yosh that we've dealt with ex- you know, extensively in the past. So, for example, if a woman owns this property worth a million pounds, in her name, on the land registry and everything, and she comes into marriage, so now the rent from that property, if it's rented out, belongs up in to the husband. He might let his wife keep it, use it wherever it is, but in principle, he is entitled to it because he's a husband and it's nifsimilut. If she were to sell that property without her husband's specific mechila and permission, etc., and even if he were to mechil as a child, if it works, how it works, in the marriage itself, then the mechach is not chal, because really it's meshubah to the husband. And after she's nifta, which is when the husband is the yerish, he can go and get it back off the people who she sold it to, in theory. Remember, there are a number of different clauses, obviously, but generally speaking, which is something which we don't find by anything else in the Gabayilfus Yerusha. Obviously, if a father in his lifetime sells a property, there's no Havamina that his Yerushim can turn around to Achamisa and go to the people who bought that property and say, listen here, we're the Yerushim, we're taking the property. What do you mean? You're only the Yorish of whatever's left in the estate at the time of Ptira. This wasn't in the estate at the time of Ptira. So here with Abal, Yarsh and his wife, it's not really so much that the husband is only Yarshin at the time of Ptira, it's that the husband has a schus to inherit when he gets married. When he gets married, he has, so to speak, if we put it in legal terms, almost like a charge on the property, that if she's Nifta, he will inherit that property. And there's nothing she can do to circumvent that halacha. And the Lokech doesn't get his million pounds back. That, as we've discussed in the past, can be extremely relevant in a second marriage. Because if a woman gets married, she, let's say, in a classic scenario, and I'll discuss this only briefly because I think we've covered this in the past a couple of times over the years. Um, I think this is, by the way, is the 15th year or, or 16th year of the show. I'm not sure. I think so. Yeah. Um, if, the beginning now, uh, uh, if a... Um, Husband number one is Nifta, and he leaves everything to his wife, let's say it's joint tenancy, whatever it would be, and everything goes to the wife. And her, their children from the first marriage, so to speak, are waiting to Nachameh Ba'estim. Obviously, they want their mother to Harikas Yomim, but in principle, they're only going to get the Yerusha after their mother's Nifta. And then the mother remarries without getting the right halachic advice, and she doesn't sign a shtar, she doesn't get her new husband to sign a shtar at the right relevant point, whether that's before uh, the chuppah, or under the chuppah, or both, whatever it is. Um, not everything you see happening under the chuppah might necessarily be what you think it is under the chuppah. That's there. Whatever. Then, then there's a problem. 
because Ba'atsim, he has a stus which he can't just be Masalik himself from. And therefore, in that scenario, the Allah will be that um, if she is Nifta, her husband, second husband, will inherit everything. And when he is Nifta, his children, which is children from the second marriage, or, or not necessarily her children at all, might be from his first marriage, will inherit the first husband's house. So the first Yoshim, so to speak, wannabe Yoshim, can see their house, their father's house, their parents' house, be inherited by their step-siblings. Right? Because of this halacha. That a Baal is the prime Yosh, and there's nothing you can do about it. She can write a will, and, whatever, and, and, and it won't work in halacha at all. So, now, that is regarding Nisim Luke and Nisim Barzim. Now, the Shaila is what a husband Yarshan, and we discussed before that a husband does not Yarshan Roy. Now, Roy is a Muslim which we've come across in the Gabi Bakhur before, that a Bakhur only Yarshan's Muxik, he doesn't Yarshan Roy, and the Shaila is what's called Roy. Machalik uh, in place in how to apply Roy in modern day scenarios. So, Roy, literally speaking, classic scenario in the Gemara is a choyv, a debt, right? If money is, is owed to the father and he's nifta, then even though Bukhari gets Pishnaim on the father's assets, he doesn't get Pishnaim on that debt when it's paid by the, the person who owes the money. Um, there's a Shaidan person, for example, nowadays if you have a bank account, so we consider a bank account as Roy, because but Etsam, even though we look at it or used to look at it, there's money in the bank. The, re- the reality is that you've lent your money to the bank and they're then lending on and using it. Right? That's the intention. So, so therefore, is that called Roy? Is it called Mufsuk? And there's a Mufsuk about that. And we're not getting into that now, although it will come up in this, in this Shaila as well. So, in one way, a husband has more kufus than a normal Yerush. In another way, he has more limitations in what he has in, he's entitled to Yerush. Now, we've mentioned before the concept that a husband has certain responsibilities, certain liabilities to his wife and to his children and to her children. And we're not going through all of those now. But one of the responsibilities he has to his wife is to support her, to feed her, to put a roof over her head, etc. And in, as a result of that, he has an obligation to feed her, therefore he's entitled to her maishvidzah. And in theory, if a woman would turn around and let's say she'd be a primary earner in the house, she would be entitled to the Allah to say, you know what, don't feed me, don't support me, for my sedans and you know, if I get out, I'm taking my, I'll support myself, you don't give me any money towards my income, you don't have to feed me, you don't have to clothe me, you don't have to house me, I'll pay for all of that, let me keep my wages, which is more than that, it's in my interest to do that, and that can work if that arrangement is set. Highly unusual for that actual arrangement to be spoken out. And, and what we're going to look at a little bit more is the more common scenarios where, for example, you might have a situation of a husband earning, a wife earning, and they might have a joint bank account, but they might also have their own separate bank account. They might only have separate bank accounts. You know? They might only have a joint account. Every marriage has its own way of finding a situation to set up they're comfortable with. So what we need to look at a little bit more is when a husband has his bank account and a wife has her bank account, what does that mean as far as the husband's bias on his wife's maizidzayim? Do we say, uh, since then the day, he allows his wife to have her own bank account and all her wages go into her bank account and she spends it as she wishes and he doesn't interfere. Therefore, 
That's hers. It's 100% hers. Or do we say, no, he's allowing her to do that because it doesn't bother him that that happens that way. But that doesn't mean he ever relinquished his rights to her Maishudayim. They never actually had a discussion where they said, you can keep your Maishudayim and I'm not going to have to give you Mazonis. What happens in the case where he's giving her Mazonis but allowing her to have her own Maishudayim and her own bank account? So does that mean since he's supporting her, but Edson, those are his just every month, he lets it go into her account and he lets her spend it. In a way, is that so different than if they have a joint bank account and he gives his wife a card and says, you know, he trusts her to spend her on what's sensible to spend it. He doesn't think she's going to, you know, be reckless with it. And if she were, then he'd have to rope it in. So that doesn't mean necessarily he's gifting what's in the bank account to her. He lets her spend it. And all of these shadows, like I say, become relevant if, for example, a husband and a couple get divorced. And they have money in a joint bank account. So legally, money's in a joint bank account, you split it 50-50. Legally, even if it's not in a joint bank account, there might be certain scenarios where you split the assets 50-50. In halacha, if money's in a, in a joint bank account, doesn't mean that she owns half of it. It means that she was allowed to spend it. It doesn't necessarily mean that half of it's hers. It might mean, it might not mean. You have to know the circumstances. In a Yerusha Shaila, right, we've discussed this, uh, I think, in the past as well, it could be a Shaila as well. If, if money's in a joint bank account and a husband didn't leave everything to his wife, let's see, even if they're without a tzavah at all, then what happens to that money in the joint bank account? Was it all hers, in which case the bond, sorry, all his, just she had the right to use the account as well, in which case, even though she's entitled to be supported from the state as an almana, but the and the bailiffs on it belongs to the bond, Farmers have got a significant bank account. There are millions in the bank account. Right? So then, what happens with the bonus? And, and then there's an area of halakha which we've never come across before, we've never discussed before, and, and on the surface, it sounds very strange. It sounds very, uh, certainly not very yakish, and, 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 and it sounds almost uh, not yosha. And there's a halakha which we're going to get to eventually, near the end of this truva, and then we'll go through it properly in sound, because it's a very interesting halakha, how it applies, when it applies. There's halakha, even though a husband is entitled to nifsim look of his wife, that means the properties that she has, he's entitled to the payers of those properties in the marriage, and he's also got a separate din. They're not one on the same din. It's a separate din. On his wife's assets, right? So what happens if his wife has money, or property that he, she doesn't tell him about. Let's say even she didn't even know about it. You could have a wealthy share who buys properties in different children's names, which he means that they belong to those children, not these using their names. They belong to the children, but he doesn't tell them about it. They might be in companies which are in their names, and, and um, they might be making income, and the company's paying the income, and all the rest of it, and it's theirs, it belongs to them, they just don't know about it. And then they discover in the middle of their marriage that, or so you know, Paquette, she discovers in the middle of the marriage that she actually owns this property. She might have owned it for a number of years. She owns it at the time even when she got married. But her husband had no idea about it and still has no idea about it. Does the husband have a right to the peers of that property? From now, does he have a right to all the peers which are generated from when they got married? Or does he have no right at all? Because? Because he doesn't know about it. Now, here's the, 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 the Nakuda. Normally, in every other area of our life that we've discussed before, ignorance isn't, isn't a factor. 
right? You cannot know that you're a Bailam or you cannot know that you're entitled to something. That doesn't in any way impact on whether you are entitled or not entitled. If it's mine, it's mine. If it's not, it's not. If it's yours, but I've got sussed to it, then I've got sussed to it. The fact I didn't know is irrelevant. We discussed before many times the importance in the stars of, of correcting someone doesn't realize that they've made a mistake or they're entitled to something. Various different halakhas where a person isn't aware of certain information that doesn't in any way impact his financial rights. And yet here we're going to see this very interesting phenomenon of a situation where a husband has rights and assets of his wife that he knew about at the time of marriage. But if they were there and he didn't know about them at the time of marriage, until he knows about them, he's not entitled to any system in them. And why that should be obviously needs, needs, needs clarity. And then there's a shine as well. What happens to money which comes to a wife which a husband would never have dreamt would come to? So there's a chuba we're going to see in the sermon a few weeks time before or after the prophecy where Ramosha brings a chuba where a number of years after the war a woman applied for reparations from the German government and she got it. And he dons on whether the, since the husband never dreamt this would come to his wife, so is this part of next thing we look that the husband's entitled to the Paris or not? And we have to see it in a very, very interesting and, and not necessarily that clear gedorim on, on, on the power where this applies, but it can be very relevant. Can be very relevant. So, if again, yeah, okay. So again, first of all, is she allowed to lock in? If she doesn't, yeah, they're various different shadows. Uh, so let, let's just get a, a, a beginning. So if she inherits money from her parents after she's nifter, well, before she's nifter, but while they're married, she inherits. Okay, so there... Correct. So so there we're going to see in the posting, they speak about the fact that, that, that he knew that she has parents who she could inherit from. He might not know the son, but she, he knows the concept. What happens if, he, if she inherits from someone he never even knew existed? Some long-lost aunt or, you know, whatever it is. And what happens if she inherits after she's nifted? Right? It can happen. Right? A person can leave a savoir. Now this is to get divided between my children. Right? And, and let's say, let's say even their only daughters. So you don't need to come to... Sorry? Let's say it's not English law, because English law will normally stay, and if they're not alive, then it will be survived by their children. But let's say it's, it's the halachic diminution. It's only daughters. No slachot. Only daughters. So daughters are English. Sorry? No, not if there's a husband. If not for the halacha of Roy, then it will go to her husband. Right? So that 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 that's what we're gonna to have to see. Exactly how does his din Roy and Yorish work? Right? So so to what extent does that work? If it falls to her as on a source that she had in the marriage, we're gonna to have to see exactly how that works and when it works, if that works. It doesn't work, he won't get it. But we have to see that. So, 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 we'll see. We'll see. So, that we, we've got Marvin in a couple of minutes. I want to just start the Shaila. Sorry? Oh, tell me how you write. Sorry, I've got me stuck. Yeah. Fine. Oh, very good. Okay. So, let's start the Shaila. Jeremy, if you can bring it up, please. Thank you. Let's start the Shaila. And you'll see, I'll point out along the way a number of different parts to the Shaila. But the Shaila itself is not altogether such an irregular, uh, circumstance. The Shaila is Shaila. The Balva Isha, just waiting for it to come up. I'm just trying to find it. Give me a second.
Not working? It's slow. Give me a... Oh. Never thought we needed a good Wi-Fi in the shore at the time. <laughs> Here we go. Okay, right. So I need to do that, and then I need to do that, and then I need to do that. Um, should be there? Thank you. Yeah. There's a shayla with a, a husband, a, a couple in America. Each one of the couple had their own business, their own, or their own. Uh, they, they were both uh, work themselves. So they agree between them. Each of them is going to have their own bank account. Each of them have their wages or their income or whatever it is going to their own personal bank account, and the other doesn't mix in what's going on. Each side will, will run their own bank account, their own financial affairs. They'll do as they see fit with their own bank account. However, what do you do about the house expenses? So there might be a mortgage, there might be food, there might be utility bills. They agree between they're going to split that 50-50. So each of them pays half in whichever way it worked, uh, um, half utility bills to run the family in the house, and the rest they, they did with each party from their bank account as they saw fit. For some people, this sounds a very strange arrangement. For some people, this sounds a very normal arrangement. When they became older, presumably, I'm guessing, it got to a stage where it was a bit more difficult for this woman to go out of the house. At the time, and this say if it was written, I don't think online banking existed. So, so it can become difficult. So she uh, uh, co-opted her, one of her sons to be, a, 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 um, what's it called, on the bank account, on her personal bank account. The husband had no idea that she was actually doing this, but after a shayrat, and none of her kids knew that she did this. She was unfortunately and then her husband was nifted. And now the children have a shayla who inherits her bank account. Uh, she had a bank account, which was in only her name. She then added one son to her name. And then she was Nifta, then her husband was Nifta, and that order is going to be important. And now she asks who gets the money in the bank account. According to the investigations he's made from Israeli lawyers, Writing someone else on your bank account does not give them any actual, it's not a sign of ownership. It doesn't mean that they are now, uh, they're just a signature. All they are is like a trustee or a signatory on, on the, on the account. In such a case, then the money left in there will be divided by whatever else happens to her estate. In America, legally, in America, the way they're writing it, if this is correct, having someone else become a signatory on your bank account means that they have certain bias on the bank account. Now, in, in England, um, I, I, I don't know 
about a son or anyone else, but if a husband and a wife would have a joint bank account, then when one is nifter, automatically, it's a bit like a, a joint tenancy on a property, automatically the rest is, is so to speak, uh, owned without needing probate, as far as I remember, um, by the surviving spouse. Um, I, I don't know how much of that is because, like a property joint tenancy, it's, that's really the understanding, or whether the, the idea behind that is because otherwise it's, um, and he'll tell me if this will be relevant if they're not, if they're not husband and wife, if there are only two other people with a joint bank account. It's complicated because if one is nifter and the bank don't know and the other one writes out checks, if you don't say that the other signatory has a right to do with the money as they wish, then the Yerushim of the first one could come after the bank. So I don't know if this is a, a, a law which is... Which it's, it's a but I'm asking, is the term that it then belongs to all the signatories? No, so anytime you don't need two signatures on a bank account, right, does that mean that each signatory, a signature is like a, a shut of in it and it's other ones nifta, they own everything, or just, they don't own everything, we're not getting involved in who owns everything, but they have a right to, to the, the bank account. Even though by husband and wife, you wouldn't find it strange. No, 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 just, just by having a person on the bank account, they have an Okay, if a husband and wife had a joint bank account... No, because that, because it, because it's your 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 working as a, as a trustee of, of a charity. As far as I'm aware, all the bank accounts you can set up whatever you want, but the bank accounts would be specified. There's no general rule. No. For a joint account, yeah, yeah. So if you have, if you have a, a mother and child. I'm asking, I don't know. Is it because she's a spouse? If you have a mother and son open up a joint account together, I don't know. No, I don't know. I, and they have a right to use the funds. Yeah, so they will, but I don't think uh, I suspect that ownership of the money in the account will still be subject to some sort of dispute. Okay, so I don't know. We, we need to get a banker in the partnership as well, but what is the account? Yeah, but surely there's a difference between uh, me being a signatory on the account, like Mark may be a signatory on the Shul account, but he's not any, owning any of the money, um, and me being a joint account holder with Rubain. So that, that's what we're asking. Uh, Mark is saying that there's various different ways you can set up accounts. There's no one size fits all. Yes, I definitely agree there's a difference between a shul account or a business account maybe. But when you have a, a, a personal account, if two people set up open together, they don't have to be married. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there are many scenarios nowadays where two people open up joint accounts who aren't married. Does that mean that they, they are both considered bailing and if one was nifted, the other one would own it outright? I don't know. I do. You'd have to read the small print. I don't know. So homework for someone to do. Also, nishenes hashayla ma'alocha pidin terachdesha ha'im yesh tokyo for dava hanal. And now the shayla is what happens al pidin terachdesha in such a situation where the mother has put the son as a signature on the bank account and then she was nifta. Does that mean that now, remember this is in America, this shayla happened in America and legally they're saying, let's go with what they're saying that it's correct, otherwise we're wasting our time, that, that 
that legally that would mean in America that now it belongs to him, right? So does that mean Alpi Dinto also it belongs to him? And a number of different points which come up in this Shaila. And here this is the, the, the beauty of our big Shaila. So point number one, a woman has a joint bank account, her husband has his, sorry, has her own account, her husband has his own account. They agree between them, her wages go into her account, she can do that as she wishes. And his wages go into his account, and he does with as he wishes. Does that mean al pi that the husband has relinquished his ownership of Maisyodayim? Or does that mean this is the way that he's prepared to let her operate, but in theory, at any point in time, he could turn around and reverse it? So, so again. Allowing allowing her to use the money doesn't mean he's saying it's not mine. He might allow her to use his own money. In the same way as when you have a joint bank account. So one second, again. If you have a couple of a joint bank account, right? In most healthy marriages, where where there is a joint bank account, a husband allows his wife to use, within reason, the account. Because he trusts her that she's not going to go... So again, first of all, it's unusual that would be spoken out or even thought of at the time. You might, if you ask him the question, he might hear that that as, as, as something that he's interested in, and we have to see that, right? Because, for example, um, we're going to see that there is there are certain things that have that situation where he's not entitled to certain things in the lifetime, but will still yashin. And that's why in my introduction, I differentiated that there's two separate halachas. One is halacha nechsemuluk, and one is halacha yusha. Not, it's not one halacha that you nechsemuluk means you get peris b'chayel and yusha achamisa. There's two separate halachas. You can have yusha without nechsemuluk, and we'll have to see that. On a joint account, typically, if, if the idea would be that she can spend, she has discretion to spend money on that on that joint account on things that are needed for the family. Or, 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 Does that mean in halakha she owns half? Not necessarily. But, Correct. But in so that case where she's not her own account, and he says, "Do what you like with it. It's your money. You want it. As long as you pay half the mortgage, you can do what you like with it." He's really, he's really you, 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 add, you added two words. No, yeah, you added two words. You added, it's your money. Well, that's what he does. He says it's her money. Well, we don't know. That's exactly the shine. What he's saying is, you can put your money into, in, you can put the money you earn into your bank account and spend it as you wish. That doesn't mean I'm saying it's not mine. It means I let you spend it. In what sense would it be mine? Because I have the right to your money to time. As a husband, which is part of what we have to see, because in this scenario, this is a little bit unusual, maybe not not unheard of, a little bit unusual that on the one hand he's telling her you have your account, your wages go into your account, on the other hand he's still telling her I want you to pay pay part of the bills, right? Which again can happen. This setup is a lot more common in this. There's also a possibility. 
Okay, yeah, I'm just saying, we'll see, we'll see. Yeah, it must be. So just as I want to go through, just before, before my, the, the, the different parts of Shaila. Shai number one. Even if the Maisir Zion, here is your point, Jeremy, even if the Maisir Zion belonged to her, we come up and Bashas Petirosa, Bala Yorisha. As, as we just said, in the end of the day, he's still the Yorish. Even if it is hers, he is the Yorish of her estate. Even if he's got no right to it, even if he's given it to her, it's hers. And by the way, this particular point, comes up relevant if a husband gifts jewelry, etc., to his wife, right? So there's various different shadows and halacha weapons if, if they get divorced after how long, whatever, whatever, whatever. But if, when she's nifta, let's say she says to, to, to one of the children, um, I want you to get the ring, my engagement ring, right? So, so let's see if she documents it. Is the husband required to follow her wishes? Now, practically speaking, maybe he will, right? Uh, but is Mukhoi already? Does it belong to him? Because again, even though it's a gift to her, which is now hers, he's still the Irish. Right? So, so, so again, Even if he's not going to Yashmit, who's next in line if he's not the Irish? Her sons. Right? Then in that case will be, in such a scenario where she's written into someone else's name, into one child's name, do we say that sons? And the fact she wrote one son on there is irrelevant. First of all, is it meant to be a Kenyan? Even if legally it's meant to be a Kenyan, in halacha, does that make it a Kenyan? Or does it go to her so that's the, the, we've got a number of different uh, shires in this particular case. Like I say, not completely uh, far-fetched scenario, uh, this, this particular shire. But many, many different angles of halakha which come out or which we're only just beginning to scratch the surface. So we'll continue next week. Oh, yeah.